Christmas is about joy. Amen? And the, I just love the joy that you see in children at Christmas time, you know, and the excitement that you see. We took the kids on a Wednesday night a few weeks ago to watch The Grinch, the cartoon at the movies. And um, I think the movie was nice and cute or whatever, but I think my favorite part was there was this huge theater full of kids, and every time there was a joke, hearing all the kids laugh, that was like my favorite thing. That was the best, just hearing the joy of these kids that are enjoying something. And I love this video. We're talking about joy today, and um, you might have seen it. It's a couple of years old, but I thought, I really like it, so I'll make you guys watch it. And so uh, anyway, just the joy of Christmas, and we're going to be talking about that today. If you'd stand with me, please, and turn to your Bibles in Luke chapter 2, and then in Zephaniah chapter 3. That's the Old Testament, the little prophets in the Old Testament if you can find that, but it'll also be on the screen. Luke chapter 2 and uh, Zephaniah chapter 3. We'll be reading this morning. And I'm going to find it real quick. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Micah, Nahum, Zephaniah. There it is. Zephaniah chapter 3 and Luke chapter 2. Actually, Luke 2 is first here. Uh Verse 8 of Luke 2, it says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And then just turn back real quick. If you can't get there fast enough, that's okay. Zephaniah chapter 3. I want to read you a prophetic scripture about the Messiah found in the Old Testament. Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 14 says, Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said of Jerusalem, Fear not, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Did you know that the Lord sings over you every day when you wake up? I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time I will deal with all your oppressors and I will save the lame and gather the outcasts and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. And at that time, I will bring you in. And at that time, I will gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the people of the earth. When I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for the joy of serving you and the joy that only comes from you. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been in this series of arrival in this Advent season of expectation before Christmas. And today, uh, today's sermon is part of that series, part three. Part one focused on not just the first arrival of Jesus 2,000 years ago 
in the season of Christmas, but also on the promise of Christ returning again, his second advent, and the hope that the promise of his return brings. And then part two focused on the gifts that Jesus brings when he arrives. He brings salvation. He brings deliverance from sin. He brings freedom and righteousness and peace. And you can go back and listen to those messages online if you missed it. But today, part three, I want to focus on the arrival of joy. Because Christ has arrived, we can live lives of joy. We can live lives full of joy. We can live joyful lives. You know, joy is not just a a feel-good emotion or a warm fuzzy. Joy is a big deal. Joy is an essential part of this life being a Christian. C.S. Lewis wrote, he said, Joy is serious business in heaven. St. Augustine made a famous prayer that's often quoted in works of literature. He said, Lord, be the joy of my heart. And Helen Keller once said, when you resolve to be joyful, you and your joy become undefeatable in the midst of difficulty. The word joy is found 155 different times in Scripture. God takes joy seriously. But what exactly is it? Is joy an idea? Is it an emotion? Is it a, a, a philosophy? Is it a, a decision? Or is it something else? I looked it up. There's no single agreed-on definition of joy, uh, but everyone seems to be selling joy. Drug dealers sell joy. Pharmaceutical companies sell joy. Hollywood sells joy. Disney sells joy. Toy companies sell it. Yoga instructors sell it. Everyone seems to have an answer for joy, and the reason is is because everyone's seeking joy in some way or another. And then, of course, there's difference between joy and happiness because joy lasts while happiness is temporary. Joy comes from within us, but happiness is caused by external causes. Joy brings commitment, or it brings contentment, excuse me, but happiness only craves more. Happiness is blurred emotion, but joy is a conscious commitment. In the Old Testament, the prophet Zephaniah in that scripture we just read, he tells us of a time when the Messiah will come and the Lord will be in our midst and he will restore joy to Israel and to the world. And then the angel appeared to shepherds that night and he said, I bring you glad tidings of great joy. See, you can't talk about Christmas without talking about joy. It's a season of joy. We sing joyful songs. We watch joyful movies. We go uh, to do things that give us joy, like look at Christmas lights or visit Santa or attend parties, whatever it might be. You can't talk about Christmas without talking about joy, and you can't talk about Jesus without talking about joy. Because only true joy comes only from the one the whole holiday is about. And that is Jesus. Jesus is the, tr- the source of true, lasting, real joy. And a life devoted to Jesus and serving Jesus should be a joyful life. Because when Jesus arrives, he brings joy with him. Amen? I have a hard time dealing with so-called Christians that are just sourpusses all the time. 
You know, they're just down and out all the time. They can't do anything but complain. They complain about politics. They're they're always looking for a sign of the second coming. And every current news event is just another warning about doomsday coming. And the world's going to hell in a handbasket. And and those Christian preppers, they're stocking up guns and ammo. And they're talking about how everything's going wrong in the world. And they never crack a smile. And they've never got any joy in their life. That crabby old lady that goes to church every week, but she's never smiled before in her life. And that grouchy old deacon that has always got something wrong with them, and those kind of church folks that they just cast a pall over everything, every gathering or every activity. You know those people when they walk in the room, it seems like the lights get about 30% dimmer when they come in because they just bring in this cloud with them. The ones that are just plain mean but call themselves Christians, they claim Jesus, but you never guess they'd have any hope or any joy in their life. They claim Jesus, but they're always gruff and grumpy. Uh, the Christianity, though, uh, don't, don't be that person because Christianity is more than that. Those kind of people, they're churchgoers a lot of times, but I wonder, do they really know Jesus? If they're always walking around with a scowl on their face and there's never any joy in their life. Christianity is a vibrant, vivacious, and victoriously joyful lifestyle. And one of the things the world should see in us, in our difference from the world, is our joy. The scripture says that the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. He says that if you're part of the kingdom of God, that should be the evidence of you being part of it. Righteousness, peace, and joy. See, we're not the frozen chosen. We're not saved and stuck up. We're not brother and sister snob. We are Christians marked by joy. You can smile at me this morning. You can actually you know, look like you've got some joy in your life. Throughout 2,000 years of history, empires have fallen. Violent persecutions have taken place. Culture has changed. Plagues have wiped out entire generations. But the church still remains. In fact, when difficulties come, the church tends to grow and expand. Even in the historic plagues of the Middle Ages, when people were dying off, the church grew even then. Why? Because Christians have a supernatural way about them of rejoicing and staying full of joy, even in the worst of situations. Christian joy is actually a spiritual weapon. If when the enemy attacks and life can get hard, if you can keep your joy, you can make it through the storm. But if the devil can ever steal your joy from you, he can defeat you. Paul instructs us to rejoice in the Lord always. And then he says, I'll say it again. Again, I say rejoice. Because of Jesus' arrival, you and I can live lives full of joy. Some of you need it this morning. I'm looking at you. I want you to notice a few things about joy when we read this passage in Zephaniah, what, what God says about when Jesus arrives and the joy that he brings. The first thing he says is that you can have joy because you're forgiven. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 15, it says, The Lord has taken away judgments against you, and he has cleared away your enemies. Do we have anyone in here who's been forgiven? then you ought to be joyful. There ought to be a smile on your face every now and then. When I think about the goodness of Jesus, when I think about everything that he's done for me, I get a little happy about it. I get a little excited about it. The joy starts to rise up inside of me. I can't help but rejoice when I think about where I could be right now, but where God brought me anyway. Has anybody got a testimony like that? You were once lost, but now you're found. You were once blind, but now you can see. If you think about it long enough, you'll get happy too if you think about where you could 
could be right now instead of where you are, where your family could be right now instead of where your family is. And you'll start to rejoice a little bit. I had a Baptist friend of mine one time. He said to me, Seth, why do they get loud at your church sometimes? How come they get a little happy sometimes? Why do they jump and shout sometimes or step out in the aisle and worship and dance? Because they're rejoicing. They've understood what it means to be forgiven. They're expression, expressing the joy in their hearts because they know where they came from. They remember the days of darkness. They remember the days of depression and addiction. They remember what it used to be like living a life trapped in the grips of the enemy but Jesus arrived and they found forgiveness and they found freedom and they found light in a dark place and when you really get saved and when you really get born again when you can't when you really get delivered you can't keep frowning you can't keep being down in doom and gloom religious hypocrite when Jesus really arrives in your life there's going to be some joy there's going to be some happiness there's going to be some excitement in your life I worked for seven years with addicts and their families, and I loved to see the difference Jesus could make in their faces and how they carried themselves. They'd come into our program where I worked, and they'd come in with their jaw clenched and their fists clenched and their, their chin stuck out, and they were tough, and they, were, they weren't going to be convinced that they were wrong about anything, and they were... Uh, if you looked in their eyes, you just saw darkness in their eyes when you looked at them, and you'd see how they responded with their parents with anger and heartbreak, but when they got saved... They just started to look totally different. When Jesus arrived and he broke off those chains of bondage and addiction and the darkness of sin in them and he washed them in his blood, joy came in and their eyes started to lighten up and their, their face started to get relaxed and you'd see that clenched jaw kind of curl up into a, a frown and then the, or, or into a smile and then the next time they saw their family, instead of cussing them, they were running to him and hugging them and rejoicing. Why? Because Jesus had arrived and there's nothing like that kind of joy when he restores your life. Think about the joy that Mary and Joseph must have experienced when Jesus was born. They had had a long journey. They had been, she's nine months pregnant, riding on maybe a donkey or a camel that we are not sure. But they were riding and there'd been this long journey and they ended up staying in a barn. They were in the muck, in the dirt. There was manure around and we make it look real pretty. It was not pretty, okay? It was not something that you would have enjoyed having your baby in, right? But when that baby came, when Jesus actually arrived, I'm sure they didn't care what the room looked like. I don't, they didn't care what the, the drive was like or what the ride was like to get there. Joy came and it couldn't be hidden when they told their story to other people. Think about when the shepherds arrived there. And that would guarantee you, after they left, they went home with a smile on their face because they had seen the Savior the angel had told them about. And every time you told, they told their story to their neighbors or their friends, I guarantee you they were smiling when they said, I saw that baby boy for the first time. Joy comes when Jesus arrives. Joy comes because we've been forgiven. Amen? Secondly, we can have joy because we're delivered from fear. The prophet, he writes in that same verse, in verse 15 of chapter 3, he says, The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. Fear is the single most destructive force warring against God's people. Fear seeks to strip you of your power of your love and your self-control. You might be saying, well, fear doesn't control me. I'm not afraid of anything. But you could be living under the oppression of fear and not even know it. 
See, fear doesn't always manifest itself with shaky knees and, and chattering teeth. Fear can manifest as antisocial behavior, as uncontrollable anger, trust issues in relationships. A person oppressed by the spirit of fear can be easily critical of others, can be indecisive. You can be untrusting of others, even in intimate relationships. A person crippled by fear becomes reclusive and withdrawn. A person uh, oppressed by the spirit of fear might always need the approval of others and fear their disapproval. Always having a feeling of not being good enough. Constantly feeling like a failure, feeling worthless, low self-esteem, unhealthy perfectionism. People that are oppressed by fear push people away. They have few close relationships in their lives. See, fear manifests in many, many ways. Think about that. Do any of those things apply to you as fear maybe crept into your life? But when Jesus arrives, fear has to leave. See, fear is believing in the absence of God's presence. Fear is believing you're alone. But notice that the prophet said, when the Lord arrives and when the king is in your midst, you shall never fear again. In other words, when you don't believe he's present, fear creeps in. But when you acknowledge his presence and when the Holy Spirit is present in your life, fear has to leave. Though any time in your life, if you could look back in your life and think there was a moment in my life where I could genuinely say I wasn't afraid and there was no fear in my life, I promise you God was closer than he's ever been before. Those times when you've been closest to God are the times that the fear has left. Because when Jesus is near fear must go. So watch this. See, the spirit of fear reigns in the absence of God's presence. But the scripture says in Psalm 16, 11, he says, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. So when God's presence isn't acknowledged in our life and we're not operating and living in God's presence, we're crippled by fear. But when we get in God's presence, when we spend our lives in God's presence, when we pray daily and invite the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life, he promises us that when we're in his presence, there is fullness of joy. Joy is the opposite of fear. When Jesus arrives, fear has to leave. When Jesus inhabits a household, fear gets an eviction notice. When Jesus steps into a situation, he brings joy with him. When we're lost and separated from his presence, the spirit of fear takes over. But when we're saved and when we welcome in the presence of the Holy Spirit, there is full and complete joy in our lives. In his presence, you can find joy in relationships with other people again. In his presence, you can find the joy you need to face difficult situations and decisions. You can find joy in your own purpose and calling when you spend your life practicing the presence of God. Third, we can have joy because he's removed our shame. Verse 20 of Zephaniah says, when the Messiah arrives, he will save the lame and the outcast, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. If fear is the most destructive force of darkness against God's people, shame is his sidekick. Shame comes right along with fear. After all, shame is simply the fear of humiliation or distress, fear of loss of respect or esteem in someone else's eyes. Fear is the, shame is the fear of being inadequate. 
When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, one of their first emotions was a sense of shame. They were ashamed at their nakedness, and they were ashamed at their appearance. They, they were ashamed of their failure and of their vulnerability. Shame caused them to hide from the one who loved them the most. Think about that. Shame caused them to run from their loving father and their loving creator. The enemy knows that if he can get you to feel ashamed, he can get you to hide and run from God. Listen, shame can cause them, cause them to fear the one that loved them the most. And it does the same thing for you and I. Shame destroys marriages and ruins households. Shame causes unwed mothers to choose abortion over adoption. Shame causes abused spouses and children to keep quiet and stay in that situation instead of getting help. Shame keeps sexual sin and abuse secret instead of exposing it and dealing with it and rebuking it. Shame leads a depressed person to suicide instead of to a therapist's office. Shame keeps the sinner in the back pew instead of at the altar. Shame reinforces addiction. But when God walked in the garden, he was almost surprised at the shame Adam and Eve felt. He said, who, who told you? You were, who told you you had to run from me? Who told you you had to hide from me? We see in Jesus that we never have any reason to fear our loving creator. That when we live like, feel like outcasts and unwelcome, he welcomes us. That shame is just an illusion. Shame is a lie of the enemy to keep you running and hiding from God. The truth is, is that we don't have to come with our head hanging low in shame before God. God is like the prodigal son's father who was just watching the road, waiting for the prodigal son to come back. His son came with his head hung, hung low and saying, at least I could just be a slave in my father's house and have a meal to eat. But when the father saw him coming, he ran after him. All God's waiting for you to do is to take one step in his direction and he comes running toward you. He won't drudge up past sins and mistakes. He won't belittle you or degrade you. He will greet you with a warm embrace like a beloved child, because when Jesus arrived, he doesn't bring shame, he removes shame. He pushes shame out the door, and when the cloud of shame lifts off your life, the only appropriate response is a heart of gratitude and joy for our God. Think about the woman at Jesus' feet. I don't believe that she was crying tears of sadness or grief when she washed his feet with his hair. I believe they were tears of joy. She was sitting at the feet of Jesus, full of joy and gratitude. I, I can't believe I'm even in the same room as him. I can't believe that I, much less that he would let me touch him. I can't believe he hasn't thrown me out. I can't believe he must know what I've done, and he must know who I've been with. He must know that these hands are filthy with sin, but he didn't turn me away. In fact, he welcomed me, and he told me, me that I was forgiven and those were tears of joy coming down her face that she had been accepted by the Messiah by the King for the first time in her life she could be in the presence of a man in authority and not have to feel ashamed and not have to feel like an object she could feel loved and accepted and forgiven that is true joy that is lasting joy when Jesus arrives we can be joyful because he's removed our shame Shame pushes you into hiding. Joy pushes you into healing. Last thing I want to observe here is that not only do we have joy, but that God has joy. That he is the source of our joy. Verse 17 of this scripture in Zephaniah 3 
since the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. That word exalt, it's used a couple of times in this passage, and it means an elaborate expression of joy. When you just, on Christmas morning, when your kid walks in and and sees the gifts at the tree, they're going to exalt. (laughs) They're going to have an elaborate expression of joy. And just think of that image for a second of a child seeing, receiving that gift that he's always wanted under the tree. And think of how that child would act and, and the joy that would be on that child's face. That's exactly how God feels about you. You are the gift that he's always wanted. I just thought of that. That was good. You are the gift that he has always wanted. He has been eagerly anticipating you to come and offer your life to him. And when you come, he is, he is even more excited and throws him even more elaborate celebration than that child on Christmas morning. He exalts over you with loud singing. He sings over you. You are the joy of God's existence. Think about that. You, in your messed up, jacked up self and personality, you are his joy. Hebrews 12, verse 2 says this. The the writer, he instructs us, he says, Fix your eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of your faith, and who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What's that mean? That means that he saw joy somewhere on the other side of going through the cross and going through crucifixion. What was that joy? A relationship with you. Because of the joy he knew he would receive from restored, perfect relationship with you and I, he endured the shame and torture of the cross. God rejoices over you. Katie, will you come? I want you guys to stand with me for just a moment. Joy is a powerful force on the earth. Joy is serious business. A lot of the earth's problems could be solved. Because joy isn't just an emotion to make you feel good or something to keep your mind off of how bad things are going other places in your life. Joy is a spiritual weapon. Joy actually is strength. That quote that I read earlier from Helen Keller, she said, if you resolve to be joyful, you and your joy will be undefeatable in the midst of difficulty. God put it this way in Nehemiah chapter 8. He said, the joy of the Lord is your strength. I I like, sometimes I think of scripture in, in like a, a logical way, I kind of put it even into a math problem, kind of. So I read that scripture earlier. In the presence of God, there's fullness of joy, right? And then this scripture that's on the screen right now, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, if you add those two together, what do you get? That means if I need strength, I've got to have joy. And if I want to have joy, where do I have to be? In his presence. So it's not just I want to feel good. It's that I need strength to face what I'm facing. 
I need strength to face a world that's lost and dying, a world that's in chaos right now. I need strength to face the difficulty my family's facing this Christmas season. Because see, you know, holidays are not always joyful for everyone. For some people, maybe that have lost a loved one recently, or people whose family isn't going so well right now, this is actually a quite painful time for people. And I acknowledge that, and I know that. The answer is not to withdraw, because remember, fear pushes you into hiding. That shame pushes you into hiding. The answer is to resolve to be joyful no matter what, because that joy is the strength that you need to face the circumstances and situations you're facing in your life. And so if you need strength, the Bible says you've got to have joy. And if you want joy, the Bible says you've got to run to the presence. for people who really need it. You really need it. I really need it. So don't wait, you know, like, oh, well, that's for somebody else. No, it's for you. You were just asking yourself, is this for me? Yeah, it's for you. It's for you to get into his presence today because in his presence there is fullness of joy. And the joy of the Lord is your strength. Are you tired? Are you weak? Are you weary? of joy. In his presence, there's strength. Would you come as she sings right now? I want you to come. Don't wait for someone else and don't wait for me to have to beg you to come. I want you to come and say, I need strength from Jesus this morning. I need the joy of the Lord in my life. I need to be restored. I need joy to be filled in my life. My life needs to be full of joy. I'm facing some difficult things in my family and in my situation. And Lord, I need your joy to bring me strength in my life. Come on, just worship Him right now. Worship Him. Lift your hands. Call on the presence of the Lord. 